as we are now just about to celebrate the holiday of Hanukkah, the question that I think we need to all ask ourselves is that because Hanukkah marks such a dramatic reversal of Jewish fortune, where Jews were literally being both indoctrinated and forcibly removed, indoctrinated into Greek culture and forcibly physically even removed from Judaism and its practices, and then somehow the Hashmonaim and the Maccabees managed to achieve a victory of tremendous proportion that was able to reverse that horrible negative movement, I think we all want to know how can we do the same thing, right? Well, how can we today accomplish what the Maccabees, what the Hashmonaim did back then? In addition to that, of course, we always need to ask ourselves that when either the Torah or the rabbis establish a holiday, that means that something occurred historically during that time that applies for all the future. Because there are so many things that were both miraculously good and tragically bad that could be marked as either a celebratory holiday or, God forbid, a holiday of mourning, destruction, and sadness. So whenever we, in fact, incorporate into our tradition a holiday that was established from before and observe it today, it means that somehow it is applicable for all future generations. So what is really the message of the Hanukkah holiday and how does it apply today? Classically speaking, most of us think about and know about, A, the miracle of the oil that was found in the Holy Temple, that was only enough to burn for one day, and it lasted for eight days. We think of that as the miracle of Hanukkah, and or in conjunction with the miracle of the great victory in the military battlefield of the Hashmonaim, otherwise known as the Maccabees, against the Greek, the Syrian Greeks. So how do those two specific items uh, both miracles of a different sort in their own right, how would that apply to our situation today? And what really did the rabbis see in those events that caused them to say, you know what, this is cause for celebration for all time. So I would like to begin first by pointing out that the attraction of Greek ideology, which is the worshiping of the physical body, and physical prowess and aggrandizing what a human being can achieve either in the form of the arts and beauty and architecture or in the form of the Olympics and physical competition, so to speak, type endeavors and how perfected the human body can become definitely has been a problem in society across the world since that time whether it's the fact that we today still marvel at the athletes of the Olympics or that a person can shoot a ball through a cylinder disc or that a person can take a piece of wood and smash a ball very far or catch a football or whatever. It's incredible that society by the millions and the billions are still fascinated by the accomplishments of the human body and not only fascinated, actually automatically have a worship for those types of people. Even though, 
as we are very, very quickly and easily discovering the people that are the most gifted physically or the most gifted intellectually, as in today's Ivy League colleges, are a far cry from the human beings that we could actually admire. Again, I referenced that hearing that everybody heard yesterday of, you know, if you call for the genocide of Jews, is that against the Harvard Code of Conduct or Yale or MIT? And they can't give a straight answer, which is another way of saying, no, it doesn't go, it does not go against the Code of Conduct. So we see very clearly that society has these images in their mind of things that they worship, whether it's physical prowess, intellectual prowess, and doesn't ultimately yield human beings of quality character. So clearly from that vantage point, we can understand that Jews succumbing to that ideology in the time of Hanukkah is a horrible tragedy, and that a victory over that for us Jews is a tremendous success, which is kind of why us Jews, not only because we are victims of this horrible campaign, but because we have a brain and can think rationally, we know the absolute disgusting, valueless character that these types of statements represent. I do think that most of us would have been equally, maybe almost equally disgusted if the question had been asked regarding all Hindu people, all Indians from India, or all African-American black people, if that question had been asked and the same answer being given, I feel confident that most Jews would have felt that that's an absolute horror for people to say that that's not against the code of conduct. Amazing that most of the world is not crying out with that kind of shock and dismay just today in response to that. So from that perspective, we can really understand that somehow an internal, a national internal victory over recognizing the depravity of the Greek ideology is truly almost a miracle in itself. And it says something very special about the Jewish people, and it is a reason to celebrate. But now the question becomes, how did they overcome succumbing to that negative mentality and thinking? So my suggestion is that it all comes back to education. The Jewish view of education is drastically different than the secular view of education. Unfortunately and tragically, many Jews in our country, United States of America, from all different worlds, right? So from whichever country they immigrated to America, whether it be Persia or it be Venezuela, or it be Hungary, or it be, let's see, it's on France, right? The fact is, many Jews from all those countries that came into America became infected with the American dream of a college education and the opportunities that that would provide, and giving that such a priority that, in fact, their next generations became very similarly corrupted by American false ideology. That's actually what happened. And there's basically no other good way to explain why it is that the population in America has not at least doubled for Jews 
in the last almost 80 years. That's not a Jewish concept. It's not a Jewish concept to get married or not get married and have 1.5 or 2.2 children. That, that's not a Jewish way of thinking. That's not Jewish. That's American. And it's all about, I need to put my career first. I need to be established in my financial security. I'm not sure that I want the responsibility of children. And of course, over the last decade or so, it's evolved to an even crazier perspective, which is, you know, I, I can't, God forbid, bring children into this horrible world. Right. So that's an example of just a concrete example of how our own people have succumbed to the false secular Western ideologies of how to conduct our lives. And the reason we did so is because of the Golden Medina. That was the way the United States was always referred to as the country where the streets are paved with gold. All you need to do is go to America and you can become wealthy. The fact is that America is a great country always was a great country in that it allowed for opportunity for freedom of education and trade and the rights of every citizen being equal, an amazing, amazing country, no question. But underneath that was the pursuit, kind of the reckless and lustful pursuit of great wealth without any attention, literally without any attention to morality and ethics. So the church became <coughs> banned. And by church, in this case, I mean mention of God, Wahavdil, became banned, talking about the one true God, became banned from our educational system, paying attention to a person's code of conduct. Although it was talked about, was never actually embedded for real as a requirement either in academics of school or in the practices of business even though, again, it's very often talked about. In fact, from a non-Jewish perspective, the golden rule is to treat everyone, you know, like you would kind of want to be treated yourself because that's the way you'll succeed in business, not because that's the right way to behave, right? Called the abundance mentality versus the scarcity mentality. That's what's taught. So it has nothing to do with developing the character of the human being. It has everything to do with Get me the money. The Jewish view of education, which comes from King Solomon, comes from a sentence called, That means to educate a youth according to his way, according to his road. And what's very interesting about that sentence is that the word needs to be explained and the word needs to be explained. King Solomon, wisest of all men, could have said, to a child, educate a child, or to a person. Why does King Solomon say educate a na'ar? And what I'm going to share with you now is so important. I deal with it on a daily basis in the yeshiva, but really we all deal with it on a daily basis ourselves. The question becomes, what is a na'ar in the Torah? It actually relates to this week's parsha, so this will qualify as our Devar Torah on this week's parsha as well. Rashi tells us that at the end of Parshas Vayishlach, all the descendants of Esav were listed, and really it comprises many generations, all the way until the time of basically King David. So you're talking about approximately 800 years of Esav's descendants, I should even say, um, sorry, 1,200, let me calculate this, about, about 
1100 years of Esau's descendants are mentioned at the end of Parsha's Vayishlach, last week's Parsha, says Rashi, now in this week's Parsha, the Torah is going to tell us about everything that happens to Yaakov and his descendants until they come with all their, you know, basically evolutions as a people to being settled in Eretz Yisrael. That's what Rashi tells us, which for our purposes is basically the next, uh, let's call it uh, 700 years, uh, sorry, 300 and, and uh, it's well, call it 300 years until we get into the land of Israel. So that's what Rashi says. And the headline sentence that begins to describe everything that's going to happen to the Jews is these are the generations of Yaakov, meaning these are his children. Yosef was 17 years old and he was a Na'ar. And he brought the evil speech of his brothers to their father. That's the headline sentence for the rest of the Torah. And the question is, what is that sentence coming to say? Obviously, we know that what happens with Yosef and the brothers is a major epic point in the storyline. But why is that the beginning? And why is that the way to frame it? Yosef is 17, and he's a Na'ar, and he does his evil speech. And also, incredibly, some of you may have heard this from me before. I actually spoke about it last week in Boynton Beach and a little bit about it this past Shabbos in, in Bell Harbor. The word Na'ar in the Torah <coughs> refers to many different ages of people. We have a Na'ar from the moment of birth, back in Parshas Noach. The inclination of man is evil from his being a Na'ar, the Torah says. So that's like the moment of birth. You have Rivka, who's three years old, and she's a Na'ara. We have Yitzchak at the Akedah, who's 37, Ishmael, who's 50, and they're both called a Na'ar. And we have Moshe floating down the Nile River, and he's three months uh, old, and he's called a Na'ar. And we have Yeshua, who's ballpark in his 40s or 50s, and he's called a Na'ar in the tent of Moshe Rabbein. So obviously, Na'ar doesn't refer to an age if you can go from the moment of birth to somewhere in the 50s. So what does a Na'ar mean? So my suggestion has been for many years that the word Na'ar comes from a word that the Torah uses that describes the Egyptians being stirred in the Red Sea by Hashem. Hashem It says that Hashem mixed up the Egyptians in the sea when they were being punished ultimately by the splitting of the Red Sea. Because a Na'ar is a confused, stirred up person. He's not yet defined, he's not yet matured. And that can be at many different stages of life that a person is going through confusion and has internal questions that are unresolved, and he's struggling to resolve them. So typically, this does refer to a teenager, because we all know how confused teenagers are. In fact, <coughs> in modern Hebrew, a teenager is called a tipesh esrei. That means a stupid ten, stupid teen. That's what a teenager is called. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of saying, you know, stupid person, because Teenagers can also, as we know, act very stupidly. And so therefore, a na'ar is actually a person that's struggling to find their identity. And very often, a person can be struggling at different stages in their life to find their identity. Some of us might know this as the midlife crisis. Some of us might know this as seven-year itch in marriage. And some of us might know this as a person who's literally confused even about their gender or gender interests. Another fascinating point 
is that almost every single time that the Torah uses the word na'ara, which refers to a female young person, it's spelled without a hey. So it looks exactly like the word na'ar almost every time in the Torah. And it always baffled me, why should the Torah do that specifically by this word? And the answer is because the na'ar and the na'ara are very similar before puberty fully blossoms into defining the gender difference, both on the physical level, but also on the internal emotional level. Now, tragically, the mental health, by the way, our friend Felicia Taban is also a mental health psychologist. And tragically, I'm not talking about him, saying other people have accepted today that this notion of a man becoming a woman perfectly acceptable. I unfortunately came across this just the other day when I found out that one of my wife's relatives is flying to a city where their best friend or one of their good friends is transitioning and they're going to support them from becoming, uh, from being a female to becoming a male. This stuff is still happening. It's crazy as it is. That's the problem with a perverted education. When all we do is think that the purpose of information is so that we can get the results that we want, whether it's monetary or it's social credit and acceptance, so then we unfortunately cultivate crazy people like we see in the world today. I mean, literally crazy people, people who cannot call out the genocide of a people as against a, being against the moral code of conduct and ethics. It's literally crazy people. If we have people who can accept that even though the genitalia says that they're a female or a male, that they should be the opposite, again, it's literally craziness. And that's what you have when you have education that doesn't, doesn't focus on helping a person get out of their confusion, out of their not our state, and help define them and their purpose for their future good use. That's what a na'ar is about. And therefore, when the Torah opens the future of the Jewish people by telling us that Yosef is a na'ar, it's telling you that Yosef is confused. Let's talk about that confusion for a minute. Yosef clearly feels like he's superior to his brothers and ready to be their king. Is he? No. He has a potential. He could become that person, but not necessarily stops playing with his hair and trying to impress people with his greatness instead of actually being the king figuring out how to help everyone become their great person. He's not at that level. So what does he do? He speaks Lashon Hara. He speaks negatively about his brother so he can establish his superiority in his father's eyes. And unfortunately, and obviously, his brothers hate him, but they're confused too. They don't know how to understand him. They don't know how to understand themselves. They don't understand how they should function together as a nation. But instead of resolving that conflict, they decide to get rid of Yosef. Also, not a good, mature decision. So Yosef's confusion is a way of highlighting why the Jewish people go through the devastation of the exile and the enslavement and everything else that they suffer and why they will continue to do so unless they stop being confused about their identity. So Jewish education is Hanoch Lana'ar, is to educate a child by helping them understand to make the right choices, to develop his character, to know what his future good use is going to be. 
get him strong in that so that he has a sense of purpose in his life so that he'll make good choices and become a very quality, high-level human being. That's what Jewish education is all about. So in Judaism, the concept of education is not about stuffing information into the person. It's about helping the person identify who they really are, a purpose that they have in life, and becoming dedicated to that purpose, which is why the word chanoch doesn't only mean education, it also means concentration, as in chanukas habayis, or chanukas pesamikdash. When you dedicate the holy temple, you dedicate a person, and you say that they're dedicated, it means that they have a defined purpose, and they're dedicated, they're committed, they're set aside for that purpose. When a person has that calling, and they have that vision of the future, then they can make really good and genuine choices. They stop being confused, and then they can overcome the temptation of the instant gratification generation <coughs> of sacrificing what's less important for what's more important instead of the opposite. Like my father always points out, how many people, you know, they work so hard in their life and they sacrifice their families in the process. They take what's less important and make it more important, practically speaking, in their lives. We're all guilty of that at one time or another, which is why we need to learn to live with the integrity of always valuing that which is more important and sacrificing that which is less important to achieve that which is more important. Not so easy to do, but that's what Jewish education is about. So what the Maccabees, the Hashbunayim did in the time of Hanukkah is they said, look, if we don't now put our lives on the line to demonstrate what Judaism is all about versus Greek ideology and make it clear that we cannot absorb these false ideologies, the mythology of the Greeks, the worshiping the body of the Greeks, right? the whole notion that the sciences and philosophy is what counts, but not that the character of a human being is what counts, or that God is not important. If we don't make that stand now and literally fight to the death for this cause, then Judaism is gone. The miracle is that whenever Jews gather, even if it's just a few of us, to fight to the death for the cause of Judaism and true education and what a human being is really all about, God is there to create the miraculous victory of the few against the many. And that's what we need to recognize today. We're a tiny nation. We're a tiny subset of Jews within the tiny nation that is the Jews. doesn't matter. We are the ones that are fighting for what God actually wants in the world. So what's very important is that we don't just call out this uh, congressional hearing or Hamas or, you know, radical Islam because they're against the Jews. We call them out because it's against humanity and against God. That's what the message has to be. It's true that it's all directed right now against the Jews. But really, the nefarious nature of all of it is that it's a total perversion of what a human being is. And these college presidents are a total perversion of what a human being is, especially one who's supposed to be entrusted with the education of the next generations. It's the opposite of growing a normal, healthy human being. So the Hanukkah message is that we few Jews in every generation 
can stand up by fighting to the death. If it means taking up arms, okay, we do that. But hopefully in the meantime, we do it through our words, through our ideas, the spreading of the right messages, but we give everything that we can for that cause, which means that we need to do a much better job at figuring out the platforms, at making sure that the message against you know, this congressional hearing is heard. You know, what is the difference between secular education and true education? We need to do a much better job than we are doing, and we need to do it with conviction. And then, God willing, we do get the victory help from Hashem. Let's go to questions and comments. Just remember to unmute, please. I'll just unmute. Beautiful message, Rabbi, especially with uh, with education. Uh, I always uh, consider the education uh, as uh, as we do it for just a couple of thousand years is the uh, is the main reason why why you know the the uh, the Kahadi, the whole Jewish community uh, is as strong as it is. So uh, even though that you know if you do percentages, uh, you know Jews were never. Uh, uh, a major uh, uh, size of the population of the total uh, world. So I think uh, uh, linking it to the Hanukkah miracle, I think that's just beautiful. So thanks for that. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. So if we're good for today, I think we'll uh, call. Just, yeah, Joseph, yes. Uh, so the message I hear from you is that from a practical level for us, it's it's education and strengthening the, the Jewish community. Yeah, and, yes, it is. Um, yes, but a little more specifically, it's explaining to people what is a Jew, what is you know real education all about, uh, that there is right and wrong, and that uh, the goal of the world is not for everybody to get rich and take as much as they can. You know, that's not that's not what the goal of any human being to be. Yep. And Thank we also you, know that there's absolute morality that you know, is based on God, you know, etc. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Um, just to let everybody know again, my assumption for right now, but hopefully we'll hear from Ethan, is that next week we meet at 12.15. God willing, we'll have a half an hour class. 12.45, and we'll have lunch until about 2. That's my, my presumption for now. <coughs> have a beautiful Hanukkah, everyone. Hanukkah Sameach.